0: together. Our our new series that we're in is entitled the the I Am Statements, the I Am Series of Jesus. And this is really these statements and claims that Jesus made about himself. And we see them primarily in the writings of John, in the the Gospel of John, and and then a little bit in, in the book of Revelation. And it's helpful to remember at this time that Jesus didn't have a Twitter feed or an Instagram account. Okay, we, we he didn't have a lot of firsthand connection to masses of people. And so, you know, we don't have a picture of Jesus standing by a dead guy. And then the next one is like, "Woohoo, you know, and he's alive and they're celebrating and you know like, well, that's what I did today." You know, we don't have Jesus like, "What's your status today in Facebook?" It's like, "Oh, I'm so full. I just fed 5,000 people with just a couple of bread and fish and oh, I am stuffed." You know, we don't we don't we don't see this side of of Jesus, we don't we don't know all of those things, and so when Jesus was around, there's a lot of secondhand conjecture, a lot of rumor. There's a lot of kind of I don't know. Did you hear about this? And and there's and all these these things and the, and the stuff of Jesus would spread, and so uh, there was a lot of confusion. On Jesus in the day. A lot of different opinions, a lot of different ideas. Jesus even asked his closest followers, his disciples, he said, well, who do people say I am? And he got all kinds of different answers. And he said, who, who do you say I am? And he even got different ideas. And so they didn't even always understand who Jesus was. And even today, in, in spite of all of our technology and all of the information at our disposable, uh, disposal, the, the accessible information that we have, there is still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of confusion on Jesus today. There are a lot of deferring opinions on Jesus. And this is why the I am statements are so great, because they help us clearly understand Jesus saying, look, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is, this is uh, who, as God, as Jesus, I am in your life. And so rather than basing our beliefs on Jesus on Wikipedia or internet searches or on what somebody said or somebody heard or, or what somebody posted in a social media. And instead of looking at all those subjective arguments and thoughts and beliefs, and maybe it's good to just look at what Jesus says about himself. And so in a world full of differing opinions of Jesus, who does he say he is? And this is the series that we're going through. So John 14... Starting in in verse 1, it says this, Jesus is speaking, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, "No, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes this statement, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. And in the context of what Jesus is speaking of, he's actually speaking clearly on the afterlife. When we look in the context, I'm going to be, my Father's got a place for you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's talking about the afterlife. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about being with God in heaven. And, and Jesus, he, he gives this statement. He says, I'm the way. It's me. And you don't get there unless you come through me. And it's one of the greatest obstacles to the Christian message and the Christian faith in our culture today. Nothing unleashes the wrath of progressive culture like bringing up the exclusive, exclusivity of Jesus in public discourse. Especially in the academic world, I think of our our students and our our professors and people who work at the university and this this um, pluralistic society that we live in and the coexist movement and and how definitive, articulate statements of exclusive statements where Jesus is the way, he's right, he's the only way. How how repulsive and how rejected those things become in the in the public sector in the public realm. The American theolo- theologian R.C. Sproul said. Making exclusive claims in America is like attacking baseball, hot dogs, motherhood, apple pie, and Chevrolet all at the same time. (laughs) He wrote that in his 1982 book, Reasons for Faith, almost 35 years ago. How much more today in our culture is there a disdain for this idea of Jesus and of Christianity that would say we, 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 we have the exclusive way, the exclusive claims of Christ. The biggest cultural outcries are not against social injustices of the poor and the marginalized. They're, the greatest sins in our culture today don't appear to be the corporate destruction of our environment, or underage sex trafficking, or um, the corruption in the political and the, in the financial systems, war crimes, terrorism, even genocide. The things that in social media trending get the most responses, the worst thing you can do in our world today is when you choose and pick a line of an exclusive belief and say that's the way it is for everybody. And I'm right and you're wrong. And so, pardon the pun, but when it comes to detestable things in our culture today, intolerance and exclusivity trumps everything, okay? <laughs> hey? Wow. For those of you listening on the podcast, I just air-quoted Trump's. Um, Our world does not like or respect or accept exclusivity. And Jesus comes right out. Like, Jesus did not make it easy for us in this area because he just comes right out and he says, look, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one gets to the Father unless he comes through me unless he or she comes through me. And I don't know if there could be a more unpopular opinion or position to take in public discourse today. When I was a youth pastor in Calgary, I was invited to speak at uh, one of the large grads, one of the high school grads. They had uh, about 800 graduates. And uh, I was asked to do the invocation. And I didn't really know a lot about what that even really meant. And it's the opening prayers and remarks and, and welcoming, and it's really, the invocation is really in the, in the tradition of the academic world, is a, is a prayer of blessing and welcoming God's presence and to, to be a part of these ceremonies, and to bless the lives of the grads, and, and so I was Googling, and, and I started, I thought, oh man, this is, so I asked the principal, you know, do you, do you have any guidelines, or is there, any... And, and she said, well, just, just include everybody, just be nice, and just make sure that everybody is included. And I said, Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian minister. And I like I can't pray to other deities and, and in, include other and she was well you you're gonna have to figure a way and, and it was like it was like the day before and they didn't have anybody else and they said well you gotta do it and and you just be nice and uh, you know and, and so oh man and so I I I prepared this this prayer. And it really, I what what choice did I have? I can't, I I can't pray and bring in other other deities and other gods and other. And so I just prayed a, an awesome prayer of. That God, you know, loved those students, and he had a heart for them and their families, and that they would succeed, and, and that as they take steps out onto their own and pursue their careers and the dreams of their life, that God would give them courage, and, and you know, and I just, I just prayed for the grads and, and that ceremony, and, and I, I finished it, that, you know, in this we pray, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen, and I went and sat down, and, uh, And nobody got up. Nobody knew what to do. And uh, and then they you know they went on and proceeded with the grads. And and then afterwards, I I I visited with the principal, and she said, "Thank you, uh, thank you very much for you know for coming." And she was next year we're going to ask somebody else to do the invocation. (laughs) And um and I I wasn't trying to be you know rude or arrogant, but and I wanted to be a blessing. And I wanted people to get a heart of who Jesus was and, and how great he is. But at the same time, I, I, I'm not Buddhist. I'm, I'm, I, I don't believe in all these other things. And so the following year, they had a mainline minister do the invocation, and she included everybody in her. In her we don't know really who it was she was praying to exactly, but she had a, a, a blessing in her invocation. And that, that seemed to work rather well for that school. Canada is in the thick of the coexist movement, and it's it's a real test to believers to know how to walk that line, to know how to like how do we hold on to what we believe and and hold on to our faith in Jesus and those those things we would consider maybe our irreducible minimums, the things that are the, they're essential to our faith in Jesus. How do we hold on to those things, and at the same time? build bridges with people in our community and, and other faith groups? And, and, and how, do we, how do we bring Christ to them and love them? And how do we uh, you know, exist in our workplaces and, and, and honor other people? and It's a, it's a real test. And in our, in our culture today, there are primarily three views on getting to God. The first is pluralism. It's popularized by the philosopher John Hick. And this is where we believe that there are multiple paths to God. Now, Canada is a proud, pluralistic society. Many differing viewpoints, lots of cultural backgrounds, all wanting to respect and acknowledge one another and to live in harmony with one another and make room for one another. And, and on a sociological level, pluralism, there's a lot of honorability in that. And, and I, I think it's, there, there's a lot of good values in that. When it comes to religious pluralism, it's the belief that, that all religions are true. They're all true to those who are following them. And that there are multiple legitimate paths to God. And one of the main problems with religious pluralism is what we would call conflicting truth claims. How can it be true for Jesus to say he is the way and no one comes to the Father but him? And at the same time for Muslims to believe that Allah... Is is uh, to be followed, and, and you follow Muhammad to get to Allah, and, and and that a New Age person would say that God is within them, and 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 you can create your own path to God, and 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 form your own eternal kind of destiny, and uh, the 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 Native Canadians would be uh, making peace with the Great Spirit in the sky, and 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 that's the way into uh, a good eternal life, and. It would, All of these different viewpoints and all of these different faiths conflict and contradict one another. They can't all be true. What if I were to say to you, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are the 2015 CFL champions. Or the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are not the 2015 CFL champions. Both cannot be true. And we know that the Rough Riders will probably not be champions for a very, very long time. (laughs) But both of those statements cannot be true because they conflict and they contradict one another. And this is the same in religious pluralism. It's a great goal for living in harmony in a diverse society with multicultural backgrounds. But when it comes to areas of faith, they're distinctive. And pluralism does not work. Conflicting truths cannot all be the same and all be right at the same time. The second is inclusivism. This is popularized by Clark Pinnock, who is a theologian. Uh, This would say that Jesus is the Savior, but people don't need to actually know Jesus or believe in him to be saved. Inclusivists, they would believe that Jesus completed the work necessary to bring us to God, and, and he's the Savior for those who would confess him as Savior and believe in him. But people can also be saved by responding positively to revelations of God and, and, and aspects and characteristics of God that they find and, and, and discover in nature, maybe even things of God that are, are they're, they're part of who God is and they live and exist in other faiths, and that people can still, it's like they don't have to have this, this defined, maybe formal kind of understanding of faith in Jesus But as long as they're kind of believing in something that resembles maybe a little bit of who God might be, Jesus comes along and he fills in the blanks and they're saved. And this is what inclusivism is. And so there's no personal faith Personal faith in Jesus is not necessary. And a main problem of occlusivism is that it actually only takes half-truths of the gospel. It only takes half-truths of who Jesus is and who he said he was. And it ignores the other part. It's not a whole truth. And our belief is that not everyone is saved. That Jesus doesn't bring everyone into heaven. We do believe there's a good news of the gospel... And in order for there to be a good news, there is another side of that. So we do believe that there's a heaven and a hell. We do believe there's an afterlife. If you're part of this church and a part of this community, that's what we will teach. That's what we're going to stick to. And so the other other way of looking at this is is what we would call exclusivism. This would be popularized, I I would hope, by Jesus in the early Christian church. And... It's very different than what most of the world will accept. In, in this church, what we would teach and what we will present to you is that we believe and teach it that we're saved by Jesus alone. Not through works or efforts or good intentions. Not through other faith systems that may be doing a good thing, but we believe Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so if you're a part of our church community, you should know that we hold firmly to Jesus as the exclusive light of the world. It's what we're going to build our hope on. It's about Jesus. And so what do we lose if we let go of this? If we begin to kind of make some room and we we begin to maybe uh, extend grace down this road, maybe a little bit further than what the biblical mandate is, what's at stake? Well, the exclusivity of Jesus is the central message of his life and ministry. It's the central message of the early church carried forward. When we see in Acts in 4.12, Peter speaking to the crowds, and he would say, there's no other name given but Jesus by which we can be saved. The early church continued on in the exclusive understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And in fact, the exclusivity of Jesus is the underpinning of the entire mission of Christ, of the whole biblical narrative, God's story to bring about redemption to all of humanity, to open up the doors beyond the nation of Israel and to save everyone. The underpinnings of that are in Jesus. And if we decide to change our conviction and open up God the Father to all other beliefs and all other good people and all these things, we, we kind of nullify everything about Jesus and the Christian faith. And so if we let go of the exclusivity of Jesus, everything is at stake. And this makes it very difficult for us in our culture and our world because we have to hold on to this belief of Jesus and, and that he's the way and he came to set us free and bring salvation and he's the incarnate God who came for us, who is with us. And we need to hold on to that and at the same time bring that message of love to other people. And the good news of Jesus can still be good news in a pluralistic society. The exclusivity of Jesus actually creates the way for the inclusiveness of the gospel. I like what uh, Timothy Keller tweeted a couple years ago. And you know, it's like the most inclusive, exclusive belief That all of these faiths and all of these these thoughts and and religions and philosophies, they all are exclusive at some level. Christianity and Jesus is not the only exclusive way. But perhaps it's the most inclusive, exclusive way. You see, Romans 3.23 makes it clear that all have sinned and every one of us, every person on the planet is a sinner loved by God. I am a sinner I'm a terrible sinner. I'm I'm a good sinner, which is not good. (laughs) All of us, there's, there's, there's sin. We're born into it. It's there. But Jesus has done the work of the cross for every person. He gave his life for every person. Every person has equal value because of the cross. The foot of the cross is the most inclusive place for all of humanity to gather. Because at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. We are all in the same place. We are all included. Everyone is included at the foot of the cross. No one is rejected or turned away. No one has to be a certain way. No one has to fix something first. Nobody has to prove something to get there. The foot of the cross accepts every person in an open invitation all across this planet. And the love of God is equal for each person. He gave his life for each person. And the foot of the cross actually becomes this wonderfully inclusive aspect of humanity. And it levels the playing field. I love what our our, our wall says there in our white letters, where everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. I would hope that that is a a, a reflection of the foot of cross to our culture. For all of us, that when we come in here, that we aren't perfect. But there is hope, all things are possible. And that everyone is, is welcome. There's an inclusivity of the cross. And that we live that out as a community to extend grace and to be gracious to people. When you come in our front door, there's a painting. The prodigal Kaylee, right here, who's painting this morning, commissioned that work for us a couple of years ago. And there's a write up. It's her, it's her uh, artist's interpretation of what that painting means to her. And it speaks of somebody being lost. In this, in this painting, there's this, this forest and this figure coming out of the dark forest, walking towards this light. And she speaks about how all of us, there's a part of us that we've all been lost in the darkness. But Jesus, he calls us. And it's a story of the prodigal of coming home and that we at some level, all of us, are prodigals. And that's a a prayer over our ministry. It's a prayer over our church community that we would be a prodigal ministry where people can come and there's inclusivity found in Jesus. And so the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way is an inclusive invitation to everyone. I'm going to get the band to come. We're going to get ready to close this morning. I want to read uh, chapter 14, verse 5 again and, and 6 as the as band comes. It says this Pe- uh, the, the disciples are going back and forth, and they've just gone through. Peter's just had his denial, and, and, and they're a little bit, there's a little bit of tension and some things going on. And Thomas says this He says, We don't know, Lord, we don't know the way. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says something so amazing. He says, I'm, I'm the way. You think, wow, it's so, it's so simple. He says, I'm the way. Peter's like, and the disciples are all confused, and Thomas is like, I don't, I don't know the way. I don't, I don't know how to get there. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you speak of. I, I have no idea. I don't know how to get there. And Jesus is like, whoo, whoo, right here, Thomas, you know the way, because you know me, I'm the way. When we were in, uh, we took a family trip to Disneyland uh, this, this past spring, and if you've been into, into Disneyland, you'll, you'll know what I'm, I'm talking about. There's, there's the nightly fireworks, it's so awesome, I mean, Disney just does it right, they, you know, I wish when I... One day as a pastor, I'd like to have their budget just to do something. It would be... It would, we, we would have the best fireworks in church ever. It would be amazing. But Disney, they, they have these fireworks every night and everybody goes, like 80,000 people. And you're all jammed in and it's all lined up along the street and, and, and you're jammed into this area and there's the fallout zone. So they have the parades where it's jammed and then after the parade's over, they take everybody and they jam them in even tighter so that you, the fallout of the fireworks doesn't hit the people who are closer for the parade. And after they're done, everybody turns around and tries to get out of Disneyland as fast as they can. Like 80,000 people. And, and it's wider at the, at the area where everybody is, and then it goes really narrow down like Main Street, Disney. It is a zoo. It is chaos. Like, it's crazy. And... Um, we're watching these things, and I can, get a, I can tell, like, it's getting, like, people are getting ready, and they're starting to make positions, and, and you can just tell, like, it's going to get bad, and it's dark, and there's people everywhere, and I got my, my kids, like, my, my daughter Ava, who's, like, nine, and she can only, she's only this high, so she can't see in, in the crowd, and they're nervous, and I'm nervous, I'm like, okay, we got to get back, and, and so we're, we got this cheaper hotel that was a little bit further away, we had to take the tram, and the last tram of the night is like 20 minutes after the end of the fireworks, and really you have to wait in line at the tram about a half an hour. So do the math; it's 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 a little bit difficult. And I'm thinking we gotta we gotta get through. And, and you know I'm telling the kids, and if we get separated, we're gonna go here, and we're going and, and this is this is where you go. Okay, so I'm looking at Ava. You go around the traffic circle where the Mickey statue and and, and the Walt statue are. You go down Main Street. You gotta go out the security gates. stick to the right side. Don't go out the left ones. Go through the turnstile, stay to the right. Find the downtown Disney signs. Go over to the, don't go to the right side because that's the wrong trams in the wrong direction. Go to the left, but don't go to the left because everybody always backs up. You can actually go left wider. (laughs) back around by the Lego store and the Starbucks and come around and get closer in line so you're at the closest. And then, you get, then when you get in the tram, you gotta make sure you're on this side so that when we stop, you can get right out. And then you got to come through, and, and if the tram lets you off here, you have to go around this way, but if it lets you off here, it's really good, because you're right by the by the stairs where we have to go, and I don't know where the tram's going to be in case we get separated, you got to know this. And, and you start, and and then you got to go up the stairs, don't go in the escalator, because everybody waits, and, the, and, and don't go on the elevator, because all the strollers line up, and you just do the stairs, it's only a couple flights, and go over the parking lot, through the walkway and the causeway, and down, and across the street, and down here, and turn left, and look for the stop sign, and the, the, we're not that hotel, but we're the other... Hotel, and I'll meet you in the lobby, right? (laughs) Lip quivering. There is no way she's gonna make it. There is no way. I could tell her the way, I can explain the way, I can give her a map of the way. I can, there is no way she's gonna make it. Because that crowd and that mass and that people are going to get up and they're just going to start, and she, is, she can't see anything, she's just going to get caught up and swept away in the chaos of everything that's going on. And I know that she's not going to make it. And do you see what Jesus is doing here? He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. It's so genius. And I looked at my daughter and I could tell and I said, honey, I didn't actually tell her all that stuff. Because <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to go in her. I knew, I actually knew that there's no way she's going to get there. You know what I told her? I said, honey, just hold on to the back of dad's jacket. The only thing that you need to do is see me right in front of you and you reach out and you grab the cuff of my hoodie and you hold on to that. Because dad knows the way. And she knew that despite all of the crowds and all of the chaos, and that she had no idea where she was and what her hotel name was and what the phone number was, if she got she didn't know it. The only thing she knew is that her dad knew the way and that he was the way. And all she had to do was hold on. I love what Jesus does here. Jesus shows up in the middle of this religious culture that is trying to be told and striving in the, in the codes and the law and the religious structures that do this, go here, turn here, go that, and eventually you'll get there and that's the way. And nobody could do it. Nobody could find their way. And Jesus, the incarnate God, knows this and he shows up. He says, look at." It's not about rules and regulations, it's not about religion, it's not about the church that you go to, it's not about the, that, that, that faith that you're trying, it's not about, it's about me. Jesus says, I'm the way. Not what the pastor says, not the church that you go to, not the rules that you follow and all the, the beliefs and the things that you think you're doing because you're a good person and that you're gonna make it someday and it's gonna make a difference. Jesus says, I'm the way. And Jesus actually comes to every one of us through that massive crowd that is going to plow right through and we're not going to know where to go and we're going to get caught up. And Jesus looks at every one of us and says, hey, don't worry. You know the way because you know me. And I'm the way. And all you need to do is hold on to me. Jesus is the way. And I can preach the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus without shame and without embarrassment because I trust Jesus because he's a good God. Because he came for me. because the Bible says that he called me out of darkness and into light. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the way. And as long as you have him and as long as you hold on to him, you're going to get there and you're going to be all right. And there's salvation and there's love and there's so much goodness in him. And I would say that at the beginning of this season, when routine hits and the fall hits and everybody's, the crowds are going to go and everything's going to, Would you just hold on to Jesus? This fall, would you just hold on to Jesus? I'm going to pray. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to do this over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be an important part of of our talks in the morning. Do this out of respect for everybody that's here. As you bow your heads and close your eyes. And we would be bold enough to ask this morning that there's a distinct possibility that there would be some here in this room this morning that would not be sure if they know Jesus as the way. And Scripture would talk about believing in your heart, in your spirit, and confessing that belief with your mouth as an invitation to say, Jesus, would you come into my life because there's belief there and that you would forgive my sin and you would welcome me into your kingdom. And it's an act of faith in your heart. And it's something that every one of us is invited to do equally at the foot of the cross. And perhaps you're here this morning And you haven't done that yet. But you would like to make certain. You would like to make certain this morning that you would invite Jesus and that you would be at the place in this moment today that you would say, Jesus, I believe you're the way. I believe you're the way. And if you would like to make that commitment to Christ today, I'll get you just to slip your hand up and put it back down again. Don't have to hold it up long. Just put it up and down again. Jesus, I know you're the way. I want to make you my way today. And for the rest of you, the rest of us this morning, I wonder if we have been trying to get there on our own, to fight through the crowd and to figure things out and to try to make it happen on our own, when all we need to do is get to know Jesus again. And to understand that he's right there. And the way is not about church and rules and doing things right and all the pressures of life. The way is a person. And you would say this morning, Jesus, I need to open my heart to you new again. That you would be my way again. If that's you, just slip your hand up and put it down again. Say, Jesus, I need to make you my way again. Jesus, you have seen these hands. And I pray, Lord, that you would come and reveal yourself in this moment in only the way that you can. You are so good, Lord. For those that would say this morning they want to open their heart up to you and make you the way for their life, I pray that you would come and meet them and forgive their sin and that, Lord, at the cross, at the foot of the cross, they would find love and acceptance for the rest of us Lord that would say we need to make you the way again in a fresh application in our life that you would do that in Jesus name